Thank you for downloading this message from Grace Christian Fellowship. We pray that you receive encouragement from the study of God's Holy Word and that you will grow in the faith and understanding of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, it is great to see you. You know, it is just so, I just appreciate coming together. I truly, you know, I love the worship. I have, for years, that's one of the parts of being a Christian that I've just so enjoyed. Um, Our sound and media and our music teams, they spend a lot of time in preparing for our Sunday mornings. And it's just great to come together as a church family and exalt our Savior, our Lord. Uh, It's just really great. So that has nothing to do with Romans 12, which is my my message this morning. But uh, it's great to worship together. eh? Okay, so we, as you can see, Romans chapter 12. That's going to be our our text for this morning, our scripture. We're going to just walk through the chapter. Uh, There's a lot of great stuff in this chapter uh, for us. We're going to sift through and just sort of see what emerges. So in uh, advance of this and looking forward to this date, uh, some time ago I selected this this chapter in in Scripture. And uh, interestingly enough, between then and now, uh, on our Sunday mornings, I've seen a number of things sort of come out in the messages that I was seeing in these verses that we're going to go through today. So I think that's really no accident. I think that is the Lord speaking to us in a consistent way, trying to get through to us an understanding for his will uh, for us for this season that we're in. And, you know, the, the church, the, the, the big church, the body of Christ, goes through seasons of emphasis from time to time where God will, you know, be speaking consistent things throughout all the churches, you know, it might be on separation or holiness or what, what have you, you know, and uh, these days and in these weeks and months, I'd say even in this last, you know, couple of years, there's definitely an emphasis from the Holy Spirit to the church, and I believe some of that really comes forth in the book of uh, Romans chapter 12 as we go through today. So the book of Romans, it's Paul's letter to the church in Rome, and so a real boiled down, simplified overview would be doctrine and application. Doctrine, so what we believe and why we believe it, leading to the application, so the life implementation of that understanding and those beliefs. And that order is real significant because our view of God, our beliefs, that drives everything we do in our life, right? So there's a real clear reason uh, for that, and that's how Romans is really laid out. Most of the first part of it is doctrine, and then he goes into a lot of life application after that. And that's, you know, that's just an interesting concept to keep in mind, even as we read any of the epistles, any of, the, any of Paul's writings, he almost always addresses doctrine and then builds on that some sort of life implementation on, on that truth. So good to keep in mind as we read through our, our Bibles. So let's get ready for Romans chapter 12. We're going to look real quick, real, real quick at the end of chapter 11, right before that. That kind of sets us up for that. And these concluding verses sort of bundle together all these earlier chapters that are speaking on these truths and doctrines of God. So verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. And then it quotes Isaiah and Jeremiah and Job. And then uh, in verse 36, For of him... And through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And the amen is there is a kind of a a stamp of finality, uh, like a closure on those previous chapters. He's saying, there, I said it, and it's true. 
So, and then let's move on. He says, the Lord is full of wisdom and knowledge. He's sovereign, and since all things are of and to and through him to his glory, Paul then says, I beseech you, therefore, to live a certain way. So all this life application, all this exhortation for ways to live is built on the truths preceding it. And again, it's just great to be aware of that sequence, doctrine, application. And God always wants us to really implement in our lifestyle the truths that we believe in. So let's proceed through the chapter and see what we see. So this is uh, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, and that's meaning your whole self, not our physical body, but our, our body contains our body, soul, and spirit, our whole self, our whole life, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Uh, the word uh, for reasonable there is logikos, and it means rational and actually logical. So what he's saying is if, if all things are from and to and through God and we're to live for his glory, it's only rational and logical that we offer ourselves fully to him and follow him. I beseech you, meaning I urge, I plead with you. And that's a real important word right there at the beginning of the chapter because it sets the tone for all that follows. And it's not a command. So we understand we read scriptures, and some of it is a straight-out command to us. This is not a command. It's, this is uh, coming out of Paul's care for the church in Rome. And that is representative of the heart of God, different, one of the dimensions, shall I say, of the heart of God towards us. You know, sometimes Paul speaks with a real authoritative approach, a real Ten Commandments, and, you know, do this, this is the right thing to do. And there's other times... Paul and the Lord will say to us, in effect, you know, I really care about you so much. I care about you so much, I sent my son to die for you. And I just urge you, I desire for you to live this way and do this thing and hear my voice because I care for you. There's a very tender, a very loving side. And that's what's coming out here from Paul. the right page here. Okay, I beseech you to be a living sacrifice. So a reference to the Old Testament uh, Levitical sacrifices of the law. These were sacrifices that were, you know, killed and then offered, given wholly unto the Lord. And the implication is for us to be holy and given to God as those sacrifices were. Yet Paul draws a distinction between those Old Testament sacrifices and us today under the new covenant by adding the word living. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. And he made some reference to this earlier in chapter 6. Uh, we call it chapter 6 in his letter to Rome where he's thought about being dead to sin, alive to God, and to present ourselves as being alive from the dead. So to be a living sacrifice. And it, it just seems rather obvious. I mean, I know a number of us have heard these verses <clears throat> excuse me, before to be a living sacrifice. Uh, but we're to surrender and present ourselves to God in life. I mean, I, I spent a lot of time really thinking about this one particular point and just kind of almost like wondering, well, why, you know, why do I spend, why should I emphasize this even? Um, and even uh, Leah was sharing that we can choose to focus on life and his goodness. I believe that's no accident. 
And uh, you know, perhaps there's someone here or maybe someone you know, listening through the internet that you, maybe you feel like the Christian life is negative, it's you know, like I'm dying here, you know, it's that your focus is on, is on death maybe or on difficulty. But God says to you this morning, live for me, live, live. Know my joy and my fullness and my goodness, live for me. Be a living sacrifice. So on to verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment and each, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And that part of that sentence there that we do not all have the same function, the implication there is that we all have a function, just not the same function. Everyone has a function. And that Greek word there is praxis, and it means to act or practice, to practice and act upon the gifts and abilities that God's built into us. We all have a function. It moves to verse 6 there, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And it goes into a a really good list, maybe not an all-encompassing list of any possible thing we could do, but it's a great list of gifts and ability within the church. I think most of us would fall into one or more of these categories. And that's a really big part of our church culture here at Grace Christian Fellowship is people really participating and functioning in their abilities, their gifts, their calling. And again, it speaks to everyone. Everyone has a function. So everyone here, everyone that belongs to this church, we should be all seeking to serve God and, and find some way to practice in the gifting and the abilities that God has given us, to function in those things. And just one sidebar, one note before I move on to the next verse, you know, when we talk about functioning in our gifts, we, I think we usually think of that that's like a perfect world and I'm going to feel really good about functioning in my gifts and all is well and feeling good when that happens. And the reality is it's not always feeling good. Some of the things that we're good at, we may not really like doing or choose to do. And that's okay. Sometimes we're meeting a need because we're capable of meeting that need, and that's okay. We don't have to always feel good about what we're doing in the body of Christ. In fact, God teaches us, and we learn a lot through those circumstances. So anyway, that's just a little aside on that one. We, should all, we all have a function. We all have gifts and abilities that we should be functioning in and participating in. Okay, on to verse 9. Did it move? Nope. Let love be without hypocrisy. So this is the agape. There's the three kinds of love. This is the agape love that we're hearing so much about in this last, I'd say, year to two years. Um, and that is the love of commitment. It's a decision despite feelings. Um, I'm going to love you no matter what. It's unconditional. So that's, it's that kind of love. It says to be without hypocrisy, and it means to, that love should be genuine. Genuine love without hypocrisy. We're to abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. And it says that we're to abhor evil. Abhor what is evil, meaning to dislike and have a horror of evil. We're supposed to like, you know, like 
evil. Like it's that bad. Evil being anything that's hurtful or wicked or bad. To cling to what is good. That word means glue. To glue together and to join or fasten firmly together. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Again, a very familiar verse to many of us. Why should we even say that this morning? I'll say why we say it. Because we dabble. We're a bunch of dabblers. Dabble, dabble, dabble. Yep, somebody's waving to me. A dabbler back there. <laughs> um, lost my notes here. For whatever reasons, whether it be our, our freedom in Christ, maybe we think no one sees, maybe we think it won't hurt us. For whatever reasons that seem good to us, we dabble. We play and flirt with evil and somehow think it's going to be okay in God's eyes and that he doesn't see and that it won't hurt us. But God does see. And it does hurt us. And it's not good and we ought not dabble. God says, abhor evil. Cling to what is good. Don't dabble. To verse 11, not lagging in diligence, meaning zeal, not lagging in zeal, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. So fervent there means to boil, to boil with heat and be hot. And it's a reference to water and metal, to heating them up so that they boil or bubble. So it's very, very, very hot. Be fervent, that hot. And we know that kind of warm is, is not good. Um, a, a scripture we're familiar with in Revelation 3, I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. That word hot in that verse is taken from this word right here, being fervent for the Lord. God wants us to be fervent for him, hot for him. And another sort of a little, as I was kind of going through this, it's a bit of a rabbit trail, but fervent in spirit. So some of the versions will have capital T, capital S, fervent in the spirit, referring to the Holy Spirit. And some say in spirit, meaning our mind. And the Greek word is used sort of interchangeably, in a number of the scriptures in, in the New Testament, and really both ways of looking at that work right here, and as I was just sort of mulling this over, contemplating on it, you know, you realize the context is everything, right? So it matters a lot as to our understanding of what the intention is for some of these words. So leading up to this point, um, earlier in this chapter, we saw how we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, right? And we're told how to think about ourselves and towards God and to think right about functioning in our gifts and so on. I mean, I see an emphasis as being on the mind, thinking right about various truths and then acting upon them. There's a call here to think a certain way as well as a call to act a certain way. Uh, and that follows that, that same pattern of establishing a truth or doctrine and then the application afterwards. And that also fits just with this little part of this verse, which we can read to say, be zealously on fire for God in your mind, serving him, doing as he guides and commands. Fervent in spirit, fervent in your mind, serving for God, serving the Lord. To verse 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. And that, those two words, steadfastly, uh, Continuing steadfastly, that's from a Greek word that really implies fervency uh, and, uh, where's the other part of that? Fervency and perseverance are actually from the Greek word uh, continuing steadfastly. And we've talked often and heard a lot about it recently. We want to be, we need to be a church of prayer. 
We're all praying a ton individually. We come together and pray as a church. We pray during worship. We pray before service. We pray with each other after service. We're seeking God for his will for our church, his direction, his equipping. We pray. We pray a ton, a ton. Any move of God is always accompanied by a great wave of prayer. That's definitely to us today. And verse 13, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. And we've heard a lot about hospitality. We want to be welcoming to anyone that comes and visits our church, any guests. Invite them to home group. Invite them to the cafe. And sit by them and all those things. In fact, that Greek word, it means fond of guests and love to strangers. How appropriate is that? So be given to hospitality. So the next, starting at verse 17, kind of rounds out the chapter. And it's a section that's kind of, you know, it's, for me, it's kind of hard to swallow. Just kind of the way I think. And uh, again, familiar verses, but easier said than done, right? So verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Um, and that just means be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And this is really drawing off of what Jesus taught. Uh, it's in that section on the Beatitudes, actually, in Matthew chapter 5. He said, you have heard it that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you, not just use you, but who even spitefully use you and persecute you. I mean, the whole thing just seems so counterintuitive to me. When we're done wrong, we instinctively think of retaliation in one form or another. And, you know, I, we think of all the movies where the get, get even movies, and those are all so popular because that really, you know, kind of strokes a part of our soul where we get back at them and... You know, that's just how we feel, but that's not how we're to be in God's kingdom. God says to not repay evil for evil, even when we're wronged, to be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Even when you're wronged, do right. I recently went through some of this uh, in my own workplace, and um, I'm pretty much past it, but, you know, this doing, doing right when you've been wrong thing, again, it's much easier said than done. Kind of hard to swallow sometimes. But there is a reason for it, and that comes up in verse 19. And he says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. Let God take care of it. For it's written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord, which quotes Deuteronomy 32. And then in verse 20, quotes Proverbs chapter 25, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing, you'll heap coals of fire on his head. And in Proverbs, the end of that chapter, chapter adds, and the Lord will reward you. I sure like that part. So to verse 21. In this final section of the chapter, kind of bundles chapter 12. And... Uh, Another very familiar verse, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And we're not to be subdued or conquered or occupied by or surrender to evil, but we are to subdue and conquer evil with good. And the Lord's desire for us is to be uh, living a life of overcoming 
obstacles and overcoming how we've been treated and overcoming wrongs. And there's many verses on it. This is just a handful. Uh, we know we are going to have great difficulties in this life, but be of good cheer, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. And as followers of God, in that next verse, we overcome the world. Because he did, when we follow him, we can. 1 John 5, 4, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. That's our faith. And because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, we have the capability of being overcomers, of overcoming how we've maybe been treated recently, maybe how we've been treated in the past, how we're treated at work, maybe even how our spouse has treated us. We can overcome evil with good by doing right in God's eyes. And God responds on our behalf for those things. So that is chapter 12 in Romans. This has been referred to by, by many of, of the resources that I, I looked at for studying as really like an abridgment for the Christian life. So it's not exhaustive. It's not an all-encompassing thing. But in chapter 12, the application that's here, following all that doctrine earlier in Romans, it's sort of like a, a template, a great outline for the way to live in the Christian life. And uh, so these are just the, the 12 points I got out of chapter 12. We'll just run through them real quick. Doctrine, then application. Watch for that. That's the truth that our life application is built on. We're to live for God and present our whole self to him. Renew our thinking. We're to all have a function. We should be practicing in those gifts and capabilities that God has equipped us with. Our love for each other should be without hypocrisy. We are to abhor evil and cling to good, not dabble in that which we should not. And be zealous on fire as we serve God. Continuing steadfastly in prayer, a church, a house of prayer. Practice hospitality, not repaying evil for evil. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says, says the Lord. And we are to be overcomers, living a life of overcoming with good. Chapter 12, I mean, there's, there's, there's so much in here. I didn't even, of course, I mean, I didn't even attempt to cover everything that's in it. It's a great uh, chapter. It's not real long. It's one of those chapters to read over and over, and every time you get one or two more things out of it. And so I exhort you to do that. Make chapter 12 of Romans your devotion focus for this week. Nice short chapter, read it every day. See what God won't draw out and underscore in your mind and what speaks to your life and your circumstances and your situation and how he'll renew your thinking, your mind through this and lead you through life's challenges to be an overcomer. Romans chapter 12. That's it. Amen. Pray with me, please, as we close. So Almighty God, you are, you've given us this this template here, just in this one short chapter, it's a place we can go to as a great resource. There's answers here on how we're to live our life when we follow you. I pray, God, as we go forward and even as we read and reread Romans 12, that you bring out new truths and solidify existing truths. Cause our minds to think differently, to be renewed that we can walk with you and really experience a transformed life and understand the fullness of walking with you in every way. God, I pray for this group right here just to have an awesome week. I pray that they are just uh, experiencing great devotion times as they pray and read your word. 
Help us to talk to a friend or a neighbor about your kingdom and practice hospitality. Help us draw closer to you, Lord. Closer to you each day. Always stepping ahead. Always closer and closer as we journey through this life as a believer. I pray this in the precious and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Please rise for the ironic blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance on you and give you Thank you again for downloading and listening to this message from Grace Christian Fellowship. We are located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And if you are looking for a church to call home or would like to visit us for one of our services, please visit our site at gracecf.us for our location and service times. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and all peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.